Welcome to What She Said. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, Black Friday is behind us and the final month of 2022 stretches out ahead of us. What will you do with this final month of the year? Personally, I'm making a point of stepping into December with intention. Intention to slow down, intention to be present, and intention to live this month joyfully by letting go of the things that create stress, which, conveniently enough, includes overspending, which leads us into our first interview. Over the last few months, we've been chatting finances for generations with Meridian Credit Union, and this week we're looking at millennials, who often get a bad rap when it comes to finances. So today we're leaving behind the ridiculous narrative that says they're broke because of avocado toast and expensive lattes, and diving into the matter seriously with Marian Madafar from Meridian Credit Union. Menopause is something all women will experience at some point in their life, yet at least half of us are completely unprepared when it arrives. The lack of knowledge about menopause leaves millions of women struggling to understand what is happening to their bodies, why they may be feeling the way they do, and whether treatment and support is available. Janet Coe, President of the Menopause Foundation of Canada, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness of the impact of menopause on women and society, joins me to discuss. Anne Brody is glued to the screen now that award season is here, but she tears herself away this week to give us an update on what's new, including a look at Poland's EO, a submission for the Best International Feature Oscar, the riveting The Swimmers on Netflix, which recreates the real-life struggles of two young Syrian women, and the gloriously eccentric Please Baby Please, available now on TVOD. We ignore what happens in our local elections at our peril, particularly when it comes to education. Dr. Prachi Srivastava, who specializes in education and global development, joins me to discuss school governance and why we need to be paying attention to who is directly impacting policy at this level. Louise Penny fans are chomping at the bit for Amazon Prime's video release of Three Pines, starring Alfred Molina. Anne Brody had the honor of chatting with Penny ahead of the series premiere and shares a bit of that interview with us today. Finally, we close out this week's show with Shell, a pop singer-songwriter from Toronto. Shell's unique sound as well as performance style with her five-piece band attracts a wide range of age groups with people from all walks of life. She joins me to discuss the inspiration behind her newest single, Think of Me, before we play the song for you. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now. This year, we've been exploring the financial challenges and opportunities of different generations with Meridian Credit Union. We've already looked at boomers and Gen X, so today we're focusing in on millennials with Miriam Matafar, who is an investment specialist with Meridian. So let's move past the tired Starbucks and avocado toast comparisons and really get to the heart of millennials' financial picture. Welcome to what she said, Miriam. Thank you, Candice. Glad to be here. So, you know, I think millennials, honestly, my impression is they get a bad rap. Usually (laughs) they get picked on for avocado toast and Starbucks. And that is just so unfair. So let's talk about what their real picture looks like for millennials. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, who hasn't heard about the 
uh, avocado toast and Starbucks and probably what they represent for my generation normally. But I would say that's really stereotyping. But again, every generation has to be known for something. right? I know you were talking about Gen X, the previous episode. So a lot of similarities, uh, but also some differences. I'd say with millennials, um, maybe that avocado to- toast represents our difference is that we are different from our parents. We are different from baby boomers, basically. And um, just because there are the environment in which we grew up was really different. We were the first generation to grow up in internet age, iPhones and all that looking up stuff. We um, faced most of us, at least when we graduated at a university, going to the working life, we faced the recession in 2008. So normally that gets us stuck and um, longer, lower paying jobs. So those are a little bit of the common struggles and challenges, but we also have common values that I might just want to touch on today with you um, and just kind of see what helps and what are some, um, you know, common themes that millennials are both as a generation using to improve their lives. There's a little doubt that we're all facing financial struggles right now. And I'd like to talk about what millennials are looking at right now in terms of the struggles and then maybe where there's some opportunity for them because uh, I'm Gen X, I'm a little bit further along the line and my opportunities to you know, sort of build wealth are diminishing as I get older. What are the opportunities millennials have right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so I believe a cornerstone of every success, whether personally or financially, basically that we're going to talk more about today is having a plan. So we all value that convenience and peace of mind of um, that sense of well-being. So I think having that plan, which we've talked about numerous times in different channels, is really important. And it's sometimes undervalued, but especially my generation, uh, things that gets forgotten or not prioritized. So if you have that working budget, if you have that um that again, financial plan, which I'm going to use a lot today, uh, you probably are going to be better off in terms of extending your wealth, making sure it's lasting for you as long as you'd need it to. And one of the things I think that's really interesting about specifically your generation is because you said, you know, you're sort of born on the internet. It all sort of happened for you on the internet, which means you have access to information, but maybe too much information when it comes to financial advice, which can be very confusing which I think is where a financial advisor is probably a really good idea because there's so much to wade through otherwise. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, It's really easy. Internet has made it really easy for us to look up stuff. I want to know how to make a pumpkin pie uh, fresh at home. I just look it up. It's really easy. I don't need to go buy a book for it. But on the other hand, like you said, overwhelming amount of information, contradictory point of views, like people come into my office being really lost and there's no shame about it because you are lost when you're simply want to choose between two different types of savings accounts, RSVs or TFSA or retirement savings or tax-free savings account, which one should I choose? So you're faced with a lot of overwhelming and different kinds of information where a financial advisor can actually talk to you, ask you questions, know what your priorities as a unique individual is, and maybe the one type of account is better for you and the other type is going to be better for somebody else in your um, in a different situation. So uh, you're absolutely right. A financial advisor can take all those doubts out, uh, help you. They have experience. They've met with a lot of people, probably in similar situations, and they can definitely help you out with that. 
And, you know, I've had Dillis DeCruz on many times on the show. And one of the things she always says, and I love when she says this, is if, you know, you don't trust your financial advisor, get a new financial advisor. And that's the beauty of, of finding somebody that you can connect with who understands your story and understands what you're demanding. And speaking of that, I think there's something else that's really incredible. I want to sort of prop up millennials here because, again, that with that bad rap, you're really socially conscious about where you're investing your dollars. I think that's super important. Yes, absolutely. So responsible investing has been a big theme in the past few years. It has always been around 30 years plus, but really come to the forefront in the past few years. And uh, I see that it speaks a lot with millennials. So when they come to my office, want to put their money towards their future, other than getting a good return, their next question is, so what am I investing in? Is there uh, is this fund ESG friendly, which is environmental, social and corporate governance wise? So we want to make uh, a positive impact with our money as well as saving for future. For example, uh, if your advisor told you that, hey, you know, by this $200 a month that you're putting away, you're funding a micro loan, you know, microfinance company that's supporting female entrepreneurs to fund their business, right? So that makes you feel good about your investing as well, which is really powerful to me. So if you find that advisor that they share the same values with you, they know how to explain ESG responsible investing, I think you're set. Okay. So you said though, the, the also, you know, because I think when boomers, my parents probably invested. Uh, I don't know that they ask those questions. How out front are you with this information? Is it easily accessible for people who want to invest? Like, does, does Meridian share all of this out front? Uh, yes. So we're a big platform. Um, our CEO is a really big advocate of um, ESG and responsible investing. And But if, you, if people don't ask their advisors, um, I know from the advisors that work with me, we normally bring that up, you know, here is the other profits, your, um, here, here are the other positive impacts you're making with your investments. So we actually open it up and say, hey, did you know this investment, you know, it's uh, ESG friendly. So I do that certainly for sure. And I can't speak for all the advisors out there, but Meridian is a bit, big advocate, that's for sure. All right, excellent. So what are you seeing for uh, millennials going into 2023? What do you think their biggest concerns are going to be? So uh, I find it really difficult to stick to a plan, especially when interest rates are going up like this. And also we all have a certain amount of debt. So that definitely impacts our budgets. Going into 2023, I would say it's even more important to review that budget. It's even more important to have those buckets and make sure you don't spend more than you make. Um, or if you do, make sure you pay it off at the end of the month or not the next month at the, you know, the, the very least. So um, I'd say... That budget, and it speaks to people around my age, my friends very well, that if you stick to that budget, you're going to be good, but review it. It has to be working. Don't just put it up on the fridge on your computer and just leave it, right? It won't work that way. So that's my one advice for, for people my age, that um, meet with your financial advisors regularly, make sure you're on plan, and make sure you're not missing out on your opportunities for savings. All right. Incredible. I think budget is going to be something every generation is going to be getting very familiar with in 2023. <laughs> so this applies to everybody. Uh, Miriam, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Uh, this is incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. More of What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up. 
Medicinal mushrooms offer a multitude of health benefits, including immune support, improved energy, and stress reduction. Medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal are hot water extracted, providing you validated potency so you can get their full health benefits. Discover reishi, lion's mane, or resilience, a seven mushroom blend. Find the complete selection of medicinal mushrooms extracts from New Roots Herbal exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, Always read and follow the label. And now, back to what she said. Here's Candace Sampson. If you feel like menopause snuck up on you and smacked you over the head with a 2 by 4 you're not alone. The reality is that half of women are completely unprepared for this stage of life, and my next guest believes that's a gender equity issue. Janet Coe is president of the Menopause Foundation of Canada, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness of the impact of menopause on women and society. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Janet. Thanks for having me, Candice. So how many women in Canada right now are experiencing menopause? Well, there are 10 million women in Canada over the age of 40. So when we think about menopause, the average age to reach menopause is 51. And women typically reach menopause between the ages of 45 and 55. But one of the biggest myths is that menopause happens and then it's over. Menopause is a continuum and women will spend up to one half of their life in menopause. So it's not a simple answer, but 10 million women over the age of 40 are likely in perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's a huge number. And our issues related to menopause have been ignored and overlooked. And we have to change that. Yeah, I mean, I when I said, you know, hit over the head with a two by four, I have to say that my own experience was very much like that because I was experiencing 20 to 30 hot flashes a day at one point. And uh, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't really have a lot of uh, knowledge, prior knowledge to it. So I feel this is a super important issue for people to know because it's not just hot flashes. It's much, much more, correct? Absolutely. And your experience is very similar to to many women in a survey that we just released, a landmark report called The Silence and the Stigma, Menopause in Canada. One in two women are actually unprepared for this stage of life for a universal experience that all women will go through. And that was my own experience of being blindsided by menopause. And you're right that there's absolutely more than hot flashes, although most women are aware of hot flashes, there there are more than 30 symptoms associated with menopause. And they include things like memory fog, brain fog, um, joint and muscle issues, heart palpitations. Some women can go through some depression, Um, skin changes and issues. So there's a number of things that women need to know and understand. So you can connect the dots on what's happening to you. And you can live your life to the fullest once you know that you're in perimenopause, that these are the things that could happen to you. And then you can take charge of your health. So tell me then about your foundation. What prompted you to start it? And how are you creating community? Well, what prompted us to start the Menopause Foundation of Canada I myself had a long and winding road uh, going through my own uh, menopausal experience. I was in my 40s at the height of my career, kids, family. I did not know what perimenopause was. 
and had, like you, about 30 hot flashes a day, had multiple symptoms that were really left untreated. And that had a negative impact on my own health. And it took a long time to get accurate information and to find my way through the healthcare system until I finally, in my 50s, got to a menopause specialist, um, an OB-GYN who specializes in menopause, who then looked at me and said I was a great candidate for menopause hormone therapy, and I got my my life back, essentially, and my health back. Uh, that's not the journey or the solution for every woman, but it certainly is an option. Uh, and along with my co-founder, Trish Barbado, who also had a challenging menopausal experience, we just realized that there were lots of women like us who were going through this, and we did not want them to have the same kind of journey that we had. Women need to have the knowledge. We need to close that menopause knowledge gap. They need the information to support them through this time of their life. And unfortunately, um, our healthcare community, medical practitioners do not have a lot of knowledge about menopause. So when women go to their healthcare practitioners, our recent survey showed that the majority of them feel that they're getting unhelpful information, and four in 10 women felt that their symptoms were undertreated. So again, the Menopause Foundation of Canada was created to close that menopause knowledge gap and to be a place where women can go to for evidence-based information, and also where they can go to to find a physician who specializes in menopause. So there's all kinds of resources that are on that site. And I have to say we're very proud that we're guided by a medical advisory board of many of Canada's top medical specialists who have dedicated their lives to women's health and to understanding menopause. It's incredible. I love that you said this about, you know, um, that you went to a specialist in menopause. I can imagine, given the current state of, of medicine in Canada, it must be difficult to find experts like that. Absolutely. There, you know, we assume as women, I know I certainly did, that every OB-GYN knows what they're doing when it comes to menopause, or that your family physician would have a certain level of understanding of menopause, but that's actually not the case. And that was one of the, the big eye-opening moments that made us decide that this was a, a, an equity issue for women. Women are supported when we're going through puberty, when we're trying not to get pregnant, when we're trying to get pregnant, when we're having babies after we have the babies and then you hit you know this time in your life where you're really in the prime of your life and that support drops off and there's a deafening silence in our society about menopause and anything that you do here is generally overwhelmingly negative which leads many women uh, four in ten in our survey feeling like they're going through menopause and they're all alone what a tragedy that, you know, this is going to happen to 50% of the population. It's a universal experience. And women do not get the health care they need, have little support from their communities, and feel very alone going through this type of an experience. Well, you are sorely needed. You're coming at the right time. So thanks so much uh, for joining me today. I want people to be able to find you. Uh, so where can they connect and keep up with all that you're doing? We really encourage women to join us. Uh, visit the menopausefoundationcanada.ca. That's our website. You'll find evidence-based resources. You'll find links to find a physician. 
And we just want women to remember that you deserve to feel healthy in the prime of your life. And let's make sure to take action to close that menopause knowledge gap. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Janet. Thanks, Candice. It's award season and Anne Brody is busy, 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 glued to her screen and screens in theaters. But we've got her nailed down for what's new this week. So let's start with EO. Anne, tell me all about it. This is an incredible film. And let me emphasize that it is a drama, not a documentary. It's called EO. It's from Poland. It's their Oscar submission. And it's EO because it's about a donkey. Uh, the crew follows a donkey on his wanderings through Europe and everything that he sees and experiences. It's magical and it's scary. There's so much going on in it. He uh, he runs away. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's put in cages, but he runs away and they manage to follow him. And he encounters foxes and um, cruel people and nice people. And uh, he wanders into one mansion and um, Isabel Uber is inside, which is strange because she's a huge actress. So you wouldn't expect her to be there. <laughs> and that's a peculiar storyline. But it, honestly, you know, if you love animals, you have to see EO. Uh, it is so beautifully made and so stunning in the visuals it gets and the experiences that this little guy has. So that is on at Tiff Bell Lightbox and select, select theaters across Canada. Okay, excellent. I want to hear about the swimmers because, you know, this is what she said. This one seems very powerful, especially when it comes to women. Wow, it was astounding. This is the film that opened TIFF this year. It's from Syria. It's about two Syrian. It's a true story. Again, it's a feature, but it's a true story of two sisters who, who grew up in, a, uh, in, in Damascus, which was free for women. So no hijabs, no, no uh, um, you know, sub suppression. So their father was a swimmer and he coached them so hard all through their lives. And they're now uh, looking to compete in the Olympics in Rio in 2016. Well, in the middle of, the, of their celebration, the country is sort of at civil war, but it's to the side but one night when they're having a party way up in a high rise in the in the distance you can see missiles coming in flying in and dropping on their city and it's the russians because the russians have been called in by the government to put down the civil war so they can't walk down the street without having to be id'd they're nearly raped by a couple of soldiers so they they convince their parents that they've got to leave they're, they're just teenagers but they, they head to germany um and like so many millions of people who've come across in crowded little inflatable dinghies across the mediterranean or the red sea they find themselves there in terrible circumstances honestly it's gut-wrenching um and eventually they make it to Germany and things begin to change for them. I mean, it's not a spoiler to say what happens. They wound up in Rio and then they wound up in Tokyo. But the life they led in order to get from Syria to safety, just knock your socks off. I will add that one to my list for sure this weekend. Uh, tell me about Please, Baby, Please. Oh my, this is so eccentric. I just loved it. Andrea Riseborough and Harry Melling both English actors play uh, really tough, I think New Yorkers, a city's never named. It's just a bunch of sets, a sidewalk and an apartment and all kinds of uh, interesting characters, drag queens, uh, 
gang members, um, innocent people, they all congregate in these areas and experience all kinds of crazy things. There's dancing and art and music and violence and killing and the dialogue is incredibly witty um, and it just moves things along so fast. Uh, it's a rather unusual film and you just have to be prepared for that when you go in, but it's really worth it. I have a favorite line from the film, which is, I'm obsessed with the Laudia and terrified of Ichiya. Okay, I might use that line. <laughs> um, okay, tell me about uh, t- tell me about dough on topic. Ooh, this is a good one. This is it's not real. I don't think <laughs> it's a series on topic, which is a Eurocentric kind of mystery streaming service in Canada, and it concerns uh, two women who are on the verge of total collapse. One is a store owner who's so entirely bankrupt. Um, the other is a young criminal with a with a baby who's escaping people who mean to kill her. So one woman, the, the store owner, drives out to the woods to scream and cry. And she discovers, get this, a bag filled with 47 million kroners or $5 million dollars. A little bit later, she takes off with it. A little bit later, the criminal girl shows up and sees that it's gone. She had put it there. Ironically, the very next day, the criminal girl goes into the bakery that this woman has has bought overnight to launder the money to ask for a job. And then they're together. It's so (laughs) crazy. And it is extremely suspenseful. And you'll just, you'll just, binge the whole thing it's just insane excellent so we're we don't have a lot of time here but i think we just want to both of us were talking about this prior and we just want to give a shout out to falling for christmas on netflix with Lindsay lohan not because it's like a masterpiece theater but because it's so good to see Lindsay back on top right (laughs) it is not but yay Lindsay! and she looks so into it and it's her return to christmas movies and she just looks happy and she looks healed and as though she's through the the torments of the last couple of decades but you know she's uh 39 now and i think she's just happy to be back all right so you've got all of this and more including glass onion and fablemans uh over on the website so uh head on over and check it out for all of ann's uh new reviews of of what's out there and we'll see you next week ann we'll see you next week More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming right up. Is joint pain keeping you from enjoying your favorite activities? Whether it's reducing acute pain and chronic inflammation or rebuilding worn down cartilage, New Roots Herbal can help. Discover joint pain relief, Inflaheal Plus, and chondroitin glucosamine from New Roots Herbal. Only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO-accredited lab, available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. And now, back to what she said. Here's Candace Sampson. The expression, all politics is local, has never been more true. One need only look at the most recent elections in Ontario, where at least 20 anti-trans candidates ran for local school boards across the province, according to CBC News. 
So today, Dr. Prachi Srivastava is joining me to discuss school governance and the importance of paying attention to what's happening in your community. Welcome back to the show, Prachi. Hi, Candice. Thanks for having me back. I mean, this is not going to be a conversation about these anti-trans candidates, but I think it points to a bigger issue in that it's really important we pay attention to who is running uh, for these local school boards and what they're running on. I think oftentimes we think it's just not that important. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, understanding that that these are actual elections and that this is a democratically elected uh, system in terms of you know, how schools are run. But, you know, the the position of trustee, for example, um, it's it's a very important position because it's basically a liaison. That position is a liaison between the board, the school and the community. And so it really is very important to pay attention to who the candidates are. Many times candidates that are running uh, as part of this, you know, it's part of the municipal elections in Ontario, at least, and many times there might be candidates there who have their eyes on uh, more uh, polit- on, on a political career, perhaps after that as well. So in terms of really understanding that, you know, our schools have a governance structure that is part of a democratic system, which is part of elections, local elections, is really important. Um, I Historically, um trustee elections have not gotten a lot of uh, pr- uh, attention uh, or a lot of you know press or even a lot of local attention because I think community members or citizens are not really aware that this is how schools are governed. Uh, but they have a really important role to play in terms of you know campaigning, in terms of trying to put in uh, policies or at least can- uh, campaigning for policies that would be more equitable. And we saw that during the pandemic. Uh, there were some trustees that were very open, very progressive, very much trying to um, fight for education recovery and continuity. Um, and they were really a really big source of information in terms of what was happening at the school level. So let's talk then about the inequities that happen, though, when we're not paying attention and, and what we can do to, to, you know, to make sure that kids are benefiting uh, in the education system from people who are truly fighting for everybody's rights. Yeah. So I think the example that you gave uh, in terms of uh, coverage of school elections, I think this time that was unique because we did actually see quite a bit of coverage in terms of the kinds of candidates that are coming up. And so the kinds of issues about inclusion, about diversity, about rebuilding and, and, and recovery in our system, we know that there are schools uh, really because of the pandemic that have suffered more than others, uh, because of the local characteristics, because perhaps their school communities are lower income communities or they're, uh, continuously underfunded, uh, within the context of education budgets being cut. This is an even bigger issue. Um, we are seeing questions around minority language rights. Uh, there are lots of very important issues that are very, that are almost discussed and debated and pushed for at the grassroots level. So if there are community members, uh, parents, engaged citizens that want to be part of that discussion, we have to make sure that questions around equity, poverty, uh, you know, these are really at the forefront. And it's a way of holding school boards accountable. It's also a way of getting, of, of campaigning and actually speaking for 
a community, especially in lower income and racialized neighborhoods, uh, to speak for communities and for parents and for children that may feel quite ambivalent about approaching the school themselves because there are ingrained power relations within schools and, and within schools, school committees and parent committees as well. So it's a really important structure. Yeah, and I just want to briefly, like we don't have enough time to get into all of this, unfortunately, but I really do want to just touch, go even more micro on this and talk about mm -hmm. uh, the local PTA. Also very important, has a huge impact on your kids' education. Yeah, the parent-teacher committees or parent-teacher associations are, are you know, at the most microcosm. They, they are the way that certain type, types of uh, concerns get raised. And it's, it's within the context of a particular school. So who are these parents that are, you know, on the PTA? What, what is it that's being discussed? What are the local concerns within a school? Now, we have a lot of research to show that, in fact, it tends to be middle class um, parents or parents that have a certain level of education um, that might have a certain level of language fluency, whether it's English or French, because really we have to think about what the school is like. And a lot of times minoritized parents, racialized parents just don't uh, figure that very prominently in those in those councils. So, again, it's just about thinking about the reproduction of these um, inequities within our system, even at the level of schools. I want to end with one final comment. I don't think people are aware that uh, in in many, uh, at least in, in Canada and the U.S., a lot of times these PTAs uh, were, because of the mothering culture, you know, uh, mothers and schools, a lot of times they were the only places for women to actually engage in some kind of political discourse. That's a much longer conversation for another time. But for example, in the U.S., um, they were almost, uh, you know, alongside the suffragette movement, uh, movement, because many times the only place where women had any power, any say, was when it had to do with children. And the only formalized structure in society at that time that they could get involved with were schools through establishing these PTAs. So it can also be a really strong vehicle for excluded communities um, to actually reclaim some power if they're able to integrate or, or if those committees are actually made in a much more inclusive way. Now we would talk more about um, racialized communities, lower income communities, um, families of choice. How do those groups and how do those uh, parents get involved into school governance so that our schools are more inclusive. Prachi, as always, very informative. Never enough time with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you on Twitter? I'm still on Twitter. Uh, I know people are leaving, but I'm still on there at Prachi Srivas. I'm also on Mastodon. Um, but if you can find me, just Google me and, and, and you can find me. Okay, incredible. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Candice. And Brody has a treat for us this week with an interview with Louise Penny, whose wildly popular books based in fictional Three Pines comes to life on Amazon Prime Video December 2nd, starring Alfred Molina in the lead role as Gamash. Let's listen in now. The first thing I want to ask you about is the setting and the role of nature. Mm. It's so Canadian. It's so wintry. It's us. Yeah. And that was, that was so important, so important in the books. But I mean, when you have a television series, that, that has to be, because setting is character. Setting is, it's, if you miss that, 
in a, in a, in a series. And you often do in a, in a big city because one city is pretty much as we know, because Toronto exactly. and Vancouver double as other cities, you know, you could be anywhere. And we wanted to make sure that this was unmistakably Canada and unmistakably Quebec and celebrate it. Yeah, that was that's just magnificent. And also Those have that duality because the books are about the stories are about duality. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the spectacular uh, locations, the the beauty of nature that can turn on you like that. You know, the snowstorm like people. You know. Yes, that's exactly people. it. And people yep. who can turn. Speaking of which, you have a wicked imagination. CC's demise. <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but honestly, it's hysterical. <laughs> Well, do you know how that, I'll tell you how that came about. Oh, do. I'm not sure I've told many people this, but after the, um, the first book, Still Life, um, where, where the woman is murdered with, a, with an arrow, um, my husband, Michael, said, said you know, you should, you should make it really Canadian, really Canadian the next, like, so I said, like, what? And he said, let me think about it. So next morning, he comes down to breakfast. And he said, like, at a curling match. I said, that's great and what happened said, well, let me think about it so he said yeah so it's in, on a lake and it's in front of everyone and she's electrocuted at a curling match with the entire village there oh my god that's genius i said but how does that work he said i don't know you know i got you this far yeah, right figure it out <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh my god that was staring so into space. just <laughs> nutty and wonderful and it just uh, to have a little sense of humor in in the midst of darkness you know, and the play of dark and light is yes. magnificent. Um, so, yeah. So, Alfred, how did, so he's EP. So, how did you connect with him? Or how was well, that I, done? I didn't. I didn't. Um, and uh, it was actually fairly far along in the process. We had, we had scripts, at least sort of first drafts of scripts. I'm still working on that. And um, struggling to find a gamash because it had to be the right one and we weren't nobody was going to um, compromise although I was afraid that as time went by they were going to you know go with a stick figure or something you know just anyone um, but left bank who made Wallander as yes. well and ah. the other and the oh. crown and they do um, Outlander and so you know they're not going to compromise and so wow so they kept looking and thinking, and I did too. And then I had a call from Andy Harris, the head of Left Bank, one day, and he said, Alfred Molina. Alfred, that all those two words, Alfred Molina, and my stress. I can't tell you, Anne. I was so stressed up till then. I thought I was going to have a breakdown. I mean, really. There were times I couldn't sleep. I was in tears. I couldn't. And then as soon as I said, Alfred Molina, <laughs> oh my God, his eyes alone just his eyes, you know, the, the deep brown eyes that Gamash has as well, the compassion, the empathy. So that, that's how that's it, it wasn't amazing. me. I wish it was me. I, I mean, I was on board immediately, but it, I wish I could say it was me, but it wasn't. That's fantastic. And uh, I mean, he plays this unusual detective, your detective, who, um, I mean, there's so many detectives out there, but this guy is set apart and tell me how he is. Well, he's set apart because he's happy. He's content. And he's, he's a happy man, not because he's too stupid to understand how cruel the world is. He is perfectly well aware. He sees it every day. He stands over 
mutilated bodies. He has to knock on the doors of families and murder them as well, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He knows how the pain. He knows pain. And he knows pain from his own past. But out of that comes the knowledge of how precious life is. And for those of us who get to live it, how dare us not live it yes. with gratitude and with an awareness of how lucky we are, within love, with courage, the courage of our convictions. And that's where it comes out of the crucible of, of the awareness of how cruel wor the world is. The, the, there's a quote from Auden's um, poem to um, Melville, and it, it's, it's very short. It's, well, the poem's long, but the quote is, goodness existed, that was the new knowledge. His terror had to blow itself quite out to let him see it. So the books and the series are about terror. Yeah. They're also about goodness and the yes. goodness that comes out of that terror. And that's what makes Gamash different. You can catch more of this interview with Louise Penny, plus interviews with actors Elle Maya Tailfeathers and Tracy Deer from Three Pines right now on WhatSheSaidTalk.com. More of What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up. Roughly one in three Canadians are not getting enough magnesium, which can severely impact their health. Magnesium deficiency can cause muscle weakness, fatigue, headaches, insomnia, irritability, cramping, bloating, and more. Magnesium matters. New Roots Herbal offers a wide array of magnesium products, including Heart Mag, Clarity Mag, and Ultra Gentle Magnesium Biglycinate in capsules, as well as a delicious lemon lime powder. Getting enough couldn't be easier. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. La, 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 la. And now, back to what she said. Here's Candace Sampson. My next guest is a pop singer-songwriter from Toronto. At the tender age of 14, she began her music career and has since traveled to Nashville for her songwriting, appeared in a feature film, and released countless singles. Infused with inspiration from pop, disco, and R&B, Shell's unique sound as well as performance style with her five-piece band attracts a wide range of age groups with people from all walks of life. Her newest single, Think of Me, dropped on October 28th, and right after we find out what inspired the song, we're playing it for you in its entirety right here on What She Said. Welcome to the show, Shell. Thank you so much, Candice. Uh, I want to know... Uh, the meaning behind this song. I listened to it uh, on repeat over the weekend and love it. So tell me the story behind it. Yeah, um, it was kind of inspired by a Taylor Swift song, actually. She wrote a song called No Body, No Crime. And she narrates a really cool, interesting, true crime type of story. Uh, first time I heard that, my jaw was literally on the floor. And I thought that would be so cool to recreate some sort of uh, true crime story, um, but this time I actually based it on a, a true story that actually happened, <laughs> um, which was really cool and different for me because I'm very used to writing pop happy songs, so this is a little bit darker. Um, so yeah, that's that's the song inspiration. <laughs> and there's obviously, this wasn't the only song you've released. Um, mm -hmm. How long did it take you to pull this album together? Um, yeah, so I wrote the song quite quickly. Um, I would say within like 10 to 20 minutes. Um, I was very inspired when I wrote it and it took me no time. Um, and then the actual recording process, I think took about a month. 
and then it was out. I released it as soon as we finished. So not too long, around like a month and a half in total, probably. And what, what is next for you? What are you planning to do next? Will you be touring? Um, can people catch your, your shows places? Yeah, um, I have a bunch of shows uh, coming up. I have on December 10th, I play a comedy show at the Comedy Bar downtown Toronto on Bloor. Um, and I have more releases coming up in the new year. So it's very exciting. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so we're going to listen to Think of Me right now on What She Said Talk. But I want people to be able to keep up with you because uh, I think you're probably going to be as big as Taylor Swift someday. So <laughs> where's your social and where can they catch your music? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at underscore shell, C-H-E-L-L-E, shell music underscore shell music and then on spotify with shell <laughs> all right incredible thank you so much for joining to me we're going to close out today's show with think of me thank you dan and i have a perfect life four kids now since he's made me his wife but dan has been acting strange something about him yes yeah, something has changed he's out at night sneaking in the house 10 past 3 a.m don't know where he's been but he smells like her whiskey on his breath don't know what he's done but i'm losing it what happened to you and you left me that night when you said that you were feeling right and i let you leave baby you lie when you said you went home or did you go and see alone did you think of me baby did you think of me dan and i are divorced now left me for that stupid cow she looks just like me when i was young just shy of 21 i lost the house i'm alone again and the judge told me stay away from him but i'm so obsessed with this mess and he took my kids
for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson wherever you listen to podcasts to catch past episodes and extended interviews. I'll be back next week with more What She Said What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.